0: <sighs>
1: <Yeah>. <sighs> Elliot. Yes, Mark. What time is it? I don't know. Hang on. Let me have a let me have a little look. Oh.
2: It feels like we've been asleep for ages. Must be oh, about
1: 12, 12 hours. <sighs> twelve hours. Hang on. Twelve hours. It's it's more like twelve months, Mark. What? Twelve months. It's June. 2015! You forgot to set the alarm, man! What? Do you think we've missed much?
2: Probably, yes! There was
1: a general election due in May. I bet Ed Miliband's Prime Minister. Do you know what? As long as no-one's left One Direction, we'll be fine. Hang on, I'm just going to have a look. i will have a look on my keyboard on the computer I take to bed. Hang on. <laughs> uh, oh! What? David Cameron is still Prime Minister. What? Oh! Uh, Zayn has left One Direction. What? Oh, and a cheating dog has won Britain's Got Talent. I don't believe it. And worse than all of that, you know what this oversleeping means, don't you? What's it mean? We've not done a podcast for a whole year. No. And there's more bad news. What? Why are we in bed together? Welcome to Flaps Podcast. Well, we are back. We thought we'd take a year off so that you'd miss us more and then we'd come back all glorious like when Take That did the same thing, minus the fat one. No, Pablo's still in the podcast. No, I didn't mean Pablo, I meant Robbie Williams to Take That. Anyway, thanks to everyone who's been asking where we've been. The simple answer is we both actually have real jobs and occasionally, unbelievably, and quite unreasonably, our bosses expect us to do some work. They so,
2: certainly do. Yeah. Anyway, coming up in this edition, our celebrity pilot is Alex Lester, the Dark Lord of Nighttime Radio 2. He's a very funny man and has got some great aviation anecdotes to share.
3: He said, I think you probably could be ready to go solo about it. I said, no, no, I'm fine, fine. And just at that point, someone with the engine was something like that, someone came and went bang and banged on the side of the plane Go, you come in
1: for a pint? We'll speak to display pilot Rod Dean. In 50 years of flying, he's
4: flown more aircraft types than we can even name. The early Merlin engine ones, the Mark 5s and things like that, are almost like a chipmunk with a huge amount of power and they, they fly beautifully. Our very own Robbie Williams, Pablo
2: Mason, tells us
4: which
5: three aeroplanes he would most like to have flown. Is the aircraft... That little propeller thing off to my left.
1: And good news, if you're worried about your aviation medical, the CAA are looking at making things easier for private pilots. Flaps, Mark, Uh, Pablo's on the phone and he wants a word. Foxtrot, Lima, Alpha, Papa. Time for another one of our uh, flying celebrities and... This is a man that both myself and Mark are particularly fond of because he does the same ridiculous job for a living that we do, only he does it much more successfully. (laughs) Please welcome to the Flaps podcast, The Dark Lord. Alex Lester off of Radio 2. Off of Radio 2. You're very kind. Uh, I hope you carry on being as kind. Crikey. Not only, not, to... not only are you a better broadcaster, you're a better flyer, probably, as well. That's, uh, that goes without saying. Oh,
3: I really don't <laughs> think so. I really don't think so. I shall tell you, just before we get in, underway, I shall tell you, do you know where my last flight was? Go on. It was last week. And uh, I took off, did one circuit, and landed again.
2: <laughs> it's all currency.
3: Yes, it is. It is that ten minutes is just in the in the book. Was that the intention or or did I something want, happen? I wanted to check whether that just how Because uh, I can, I'm a microlight pilot, so I only got VFR, you see, so I can't do anything swanky like instrument flying or anything like that. And also I'm just too timid to do anything like that. <laughs> and it's too it's beyond me. It's just that I thought we're on the edge of we might just be able to get out into the local area. Yeah. Uh went up, thought, no, it's too hazy and came back down again.
1: Well that's all right. Yeah. You're still still it, aren't you? I'm yes, I, so did. I did. I did. But
3: you're thinking all that fuel they warming the engine up, because it was actually quite a, you know, quite a sort of uh, damp day when I am worried about carb icing. And then, of course, I am taxiing from wherever the, the, the plane is kept, down the end of the runway, do the checks, etc., take off, <laughs> up round, back down again, taxi back to uh, where I keep Before it. You probably logged more time on the ground, didn't you? Than I think probably, I think I, I think I logged about 10-15 minutes and I know that probably about three of those were the wheels <laughs> off the ground but it all counts, as can,
2: you say. Can I, can I ask where where do you fly? Because you used to fly out of Hateney Green didn't I you? learned
3: to fly at Hateney Green and I still go back there from time to time when I can. It's still there? Fun. It's still there, it's fabulous there, everyone there is wonderful, it's great fun, they're terrific and I owe a great debt and uh, they keep saying, when are you coming to see us? I said, well as soon as I get the hang of this, uh, because I now fly from Dammins hall which is near upminster and and that's great because everyone there is very very friendly and the moment you actually take the cowling off to just check the oil or whatever you're surrounded by people going come here what's the matter is it working yeah it's fine
1: oh well, I've got one of those you know well have you tried doing so and so so it's great we always ask when we do these kind of interviews about first solos because that's always an experience isn't it how was yours um I have
3: all my limbs are working <laughs> It was a success. Um, It was uh, a day after I intended it to be, or it was intended. I had no idea, because I have that thing of... Well, you never do, they never tell you, do they? No, that whole thing of going, um, you can go solo now, and my view will be, oh, I think it'll be another couple of hours yet before I'm due to go, you know, because there is all that sort of Terror in there, because again, <clears throat> whenever you, when you started, you know, you start looking at the idea of aviation, and you buy one of the magazines, it is nothing but safety bulletins. <laughs> uh, you look on the uh, on the the, the the BMAA forum or the LAA forum, whatever, and everybody's little avatar saying "fly safely,
1: safe flying, guys, safe flying, girls." Well, this is quite right too. Well, I never watch the Discovery Channel with all the many programs about airplanes falling out. of the oh, sky. You know, i you
3: know, I'm addicted to Wheeler de- <laughs> Wheeler Dealers and an uh, you know, uh, air crash investigation i can tell you our airplane repo is one i'm that's watching that's a good out. one. Yeah, that's a, good that one. Is a great one yeah exactly you know because there's always a problem and it's always you know you're thinking why does anybody do this do this if it's so dangerous well of course that's the way that you know that, mm-hmm. as you know any too well seem to be 95 of the training is to make sure that you don't do yourself or more importantly anybody else a mischief so i'm there i've been doing the i'm I'm 58, so therefore I learnt to fly when I was 53, 54, and so therefore, you know, that whole business, it takes an hour for every year at your age, and then a few after. after. Uh, so I think I probably learned quite if I went 50 to 60 hours, I can't remember exactly. But that first solo was, he said, I think you probably could be ready to go solo about And I said, no, no, I'm fine, fine. And just at that point, when he says, no, I think I'm going to get out of the aircraft and you can go now, just at that point, someone with the engine was switched off, like and someone came and went, Bang and banged on the side of the plane, going. You come in for a pint, and you are go. And it gave me such a shock. Said, I don't think I could do it today. <laughs> like, I'll do it. I'll do it tomorrow if it's all the same to you. think actually, I'd rather go for a pint. I mean. <laughs> but the next day, and you go. Well, I'm not sure. It might be a bit too windy because, of course, microlights are far more affected by uh, you know uh, the the wind than the, the I think your GAs are. So therefore, um, I'm going. Okay, fine. He said, No, it's okay. Do you want to go? And I said, Well. I think my mind said, actually, no, <laughs> to be perfectly honest, but I was going to have to go sooner or later. Mm. And the thing was, again, the Tower at Hapney Green are brilliant as well because they know if you're a novice. Mm. And so, therefore, um, I had been talking to someone there the day before and he said, Alex, if you ever have a problem, just don't worry about the radio, just talk to us in ordinary language and you'll be absolutely fine. A guy called Clive. I mm-hmm. went, all right, fine. So... I set out this that the long taxi you know' it's like, the, <laughs> like the walk of shame is it the long taxi all the way to the end of about like 2 eight or something like that and so I got to the holding point and I radioed you know, you know I'm holding at 2 eight ready for or, or departure or whatever and uh, I go, okay, line up go, what's that <laughs> What's that? I go, line up. I go, I'm sorry, Clive, that's that's a new one on me. What does that mean? (laughs) And he went, Alex, take your little aeroplane, point it down the runway, but don't move until I tell you you can. (laughs) I went, OK, golf India, Yankee. (laughs) (laughs) I got the, you know, the call sign was there. And then off I went. And, of course, if you've ever been to Haytnoy Green, it's a great, long, massive tarmac Mm, runway. And fairly calm day, maybe a nice headwind and the C-42 with my light, light fluid, okay, my bulk <laughs> in it. Look, I'm nearly sort of 450 kilo all up with it. Yeah, okay. And um, and I was in the air within, you know, seemingly about 25 feet because of course, having always been there with a, another person, somebody
2: else, yeah. you yeah, don't realise yeah, just yeah. how, uh, shoot, it, up, they, yeah, really shoot quickly. up
3: and I was away and of course this thing was 100 horsepower Rotax so it was actually quite a powerful plane mm. for you know, the size of it whatever and, Then you're up. And you go, OK, I'm up. And it's only when you turn and reference the airfield and then look to your right and realise there's nobody sitting next to you (laughs) that you go, OK, right, I'm here. And you can see some dots down below because they've got a little handheld radio and they're looking at you, waving. (laughs) OK, so So, the circuit and... You know, on final, and down, and no, no more than three or four gentle bounces, I think, <laughs> and uh, came to a halt and thought, whoopee, this is absolutely fantastic, incredible. When can I go again? And, of course, then it rains for three months, <laughs> yeah. so you don't go again that's for ages. True, and that's the true. problem I've found generally as a as a, as a pilot, if you like, uh, though I hesitate to call myself a pilot. You know, I'm still... It'll be years before I'm a, as an aviator, if you like, is that... The, due to the weather, constraints of the weather and things like the various other things, family life and stuff, you find if you're not careful, you can you can be several weeks, if not months, mm. before in between flights. And on both occasions, I've had to do it now twice because, of course, I've had my license four years. Is that, of course, when you come to keep currency, you suddenly realise that you're coming up to the t- the, the second year you need twelve st- hours, and you got you know, and you still need. I think I think I think the first time, I, I had about four weeks to go, and I had something like six hours still mm-hmm. to do, thinking, yeah. I'm not going to do this in time. Well, we managed to squeak in, uh, Because on a technicality on that one, because we phoned the, the Civil Aviation Authority and said, uh, look, because I had sciatica midway through the old uh, uh, the course to start off with, it meant I couldn't fly for several months, so it meant that some of my uh, solo hours counting towards the general skills test had in fact timed out so, therefore, I had to go and do them again afterwards. Mm. So, therefore, as they were after the test, they actually counted as well. They counted twice towards the current So We phoned up and asked. Yeah, that's f- absolutely fine. I did that. Second time, I had a about... it getting on for about eight or nine months out uh, due to sort of various sort of family problems in that, uh, unfortunately, when well, this is how I actually ended up being a plane owner, is uh, so my very dearest friend died suddenly. And so, therefore, there's a lot of time sorting his... Uh, his effects out and things like that and uh, his parents are still alive and uh, they said well you know thanks very much indeed and uh, you know when the will was read uh, some money came my way mm-hmm. so I thought well that's going you know, to that's, that's got to be frittered away on uh, wild living so I'm now a proud owner of a jabberoo wow. and uh, which is absolutely marvellous but then of course I had about uh, to do about six or seven hours in about uh, two months but so last summer no matter how thermic it was I was there bouncing around Essex you know with my head back. Hanging off the ceiling going I've still got another house and I actually did you know even with the, the taxiing and stuff like that I actually came in the day before with about 15 minutes over or something like that so it was absolutely perfect I think it's even less than that but it was it's not a fix honestly you can check my logbook <laughs> and uh you know and it was there and um, the Keith the instructor down at Damien's Hall said oh you're very precise aren't you like, well yeah I'm not to make that mistake again so since then of course I've done probably
1: about another three hours so quids in for the next uh, 18 months or so um obviously you're on radio too um and you you saying there about the the radio doing doing that bit do people expect you to be good on the radio
3: yes and they're always sorely disappointed because <laughs> the fact is that i have you know i'm there but ken it is that whole moment of high stress is that you're going right okay uh it's very thermic uh, and i'm not entirely sure of uh, the, 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 vis- the visual cues are fabulous for Damien's Hall because uh, once you take off, the first thing you see is a Dartford crossing. Mm. So if you miss that, you know, you're in real trouble anyway. And there's a very nice chimney, which you, you know, which is some sort of a, a refuse plant or whatever with the other side of the, uh, the Thames. You, you point at that and that'll take you uh, more or less into the circuit anyway. So therefore it's great. And they've got a nice shiny hangar, uh, rather like the one at uh, Cosford.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah.
3: Which, of course, you can see. You you can see the sun is shining. You can see that from miles away, which is absolutely marvellous. So that's uh, very useful. Um, So, therefore, you know, it's that at the moment. I'm still so much of a novice that uh, you're going right. Okay, fair. There's more. There is the radio is important, but that sort of aviate first thing you're going... Yeah. You know, is it aviate, communicate... I can't remember... The... 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 the, 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 the aviate, navigate, navigate communicate. communicate. That's yeah, the communicate one last. I can't even... I'm trying to tell yeah. you. Couldn't even tell you. <laughs> um, yeah, so therefore... I've got a transponder and stuff like that and down where because it's not far from South End there is now uh, a sort of mandatory radio thing going on with South End Airport as well which I've got to get you know properly sorted out and if I want to go anywhere because you're so close to uh, you've got, um, you know, Heathrow, London City. You've got all that sort of loot and all, that, all those around there. You've got so much uh, restricted airspace, so therefore, you know, it's transponder mandatory in If I want to go to North Weald, which is probably which will take me, according to my 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 air nav, it'll take me something like five minutes. But I still need a transponder to get there, I think. So therefore, yeah. I've got to, at the moment. I've been just whizzing <laughs> round and round in circles. It's an awful lot of money just to go round in circles, isn't it? You know, why don't you hang off a crane? You still be off the ground it's the same thing <laughs> but uh, you know I've got to sort all that out so I'm going to you know, take advice and what I'm going to do is actually going to book some lessons to really brush up on the nav because I haven't, you I haven't got to, you've got to
1: get it right down there yeah, because it's I, so busy I
3: haven't that's my big fear <laughs> my big fear is actually infringement yeah. You know, two fears: infringement and hitting somebody. So therefore, you know, that's the <laughs> that's thing. A, that's a good thing to be frightened. Of, I think. Yeah I'm, yeah, a, yeah, I'm a fairly sort that of, I'm a fairly timid sort of pilot. I think, and so, but hopefully reasonably safe. I remember once, I um, you know, the the uh, Goodyear blimp was there, and uh, and I'm on final, and the Goodyear blimp is just th- think, gradually easing its way across the runway, thinking, this is. You know, this is not going to be a remake of the Hindenburg here, but, uh, <laughs> but um, you know, and of course, I've got a tiny, tiny little aeroplane, and the gondola is underneath. So therefore, their visibility is probably not very good because they were actually more or less on the ground, and so therefore, you're going, to, <coughs> you know, um on final, you know, oh, there's a blimp here, I can't see you. <laughs> oh, on final, no, there's a blimp we're still uh, still here, mate. I oh, can't see you. Okay. Um... I'll go round. Yeah, <laughs> very wise. So off, off I go, you know. Again, that's the one thing genuinely I don't have a problem with is that sort of – because I don't know about you. If you're you know, you're on final and you're coming down, you realise, hang on a second, this is not going to work out, so I'm going to go round again. I don't – I've never had that figure. You know, even though it's – when you're sort of on your way back into the circuit again, you're thinking – there's probably a whole lot of seasoned pilots sitting outside on those nice picnic tables having a cup of tea and a ham sandwich going, he's cocked up, hasn't he? You know, and you had that whole grin thing. You've actually, you come back to the the stand, if you like, and you get out and realizing just how sweaty it is. You're (laughs) you're sweating rather a lot, haven't I? And uh, sort of sit there a few minutes, listening to the engine ticking as it cools down, thinking, you know, how much fuel have I used in that two circuits? And uh, and thinking, right, OK, I'll have a cup of tea now. But... uh, But everyone is, you know, in the same boat, they're they're all very uh, encouraging, very friendly and said, look, if you want any advice, just ask. Likewise, we won't give you advice. We don't think you need it. You know, I'm always happy to ask uh, because I know that the 90 percent of the pilots there are going to be more experienced than I am anyway. Um, So, uh, you know, I I shall ask.
2: I had someone say to me, you can't do circuits after half five on a Saturday here. I said, it wasn't a circuit. I was going around. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, quite right, too.
2: And yeah. no shame, because it was, it was the right thing to do, actually. Yeah.
1: Well, it's been great to uh, to chat to you. And uh, long may the flying continue. It's, yes. Uh, it's fantastic that you're doing it. And it's good that... Uh, and I suppose, actually, the hours you do, do you have lots of time for it?
3: Well, yes. But then again, other things tend to sort of impinge. always well, does, doesn't it? It is, you know. So, therefore, I might, hopefully tomorrow i've looked at the weather forecast i think it might be okay so i might be able to go and do another circuit (laughs) the thing is it's a grass strip so what happens you go up and do one circuit you're up and down within 15 20 minutes and you know what you do for the next hour you clean the
1: mud off the thing. <laughs> See, it's never any flog, is it? It's always the mucking about either side of it's the flog. It's a flag. tinkering. Yeah, it's a tinkering. We love a tinker. Uh, and you've been a marvellous tinker. Alex thank Lester, you. thank you very much for being our celebrity pilot. Flaps Podcast. It's like going around with carb heat hot.
2: You may have heard the name Rod Dean. If you don't, you've quite possibly seen him at work at airshows. He's been displaying civil aircraft since 1984, when he retired from the RAF after 21 years of service. During his time in the RAF, he flew the Hunter, the Jaguar, the Hawk, Jet Provost, Meteor, Nat, Chipmunk. You get the idea. And on the civil display side, he's been at the controls of the Mustang, the Corsair, Wildcat, Sea Fury, Bearcat, Meteor Vampire...
1: I could go on. So basically, he's he's pretty good. Mm. And he's documented his many years of experience in a new book from Grub Street. It's called 50 Years of Flying Fun, From the Hunter to the Spitfire and Back Again. Mike Roberts of Take Flight Aviation caught up with Rod and began by asking what got him into aviation all those years ago.
4: I don't really know. I, I went into the Air Force at 18 straight from school um, and I think the my earliest recollection is driving down to uh, the West Country. I come from Lancashire and driving down to the West Country and I can recollect driving past Bristol. Uh, I didn't realise it at the time. I, I don't know how old I was, 10, something like that, uh, maybe eight and this huge aircraft landed at Filton, as I now know it was, and it was almost certainly the Brabazon, and it went right over the top of our car. And I don't know whether that influenced me or what, but uh, certainly uh, it's always been a a huge burning desire to be involved in aviation.
6: So how did you get from the RAF into display flying? Tell us what you flew in the RAF, first of all. Principally the
4: Hunter. Uh, I spent 21 years in the Air Force uh, all on flying tours. I didn't do any ground tours, Uh, principally flying the Hunter. But I also flew the Jaguar. I did two tours. I did a tour in, long tour in Germany and I did uh, a, an exchange with the Oman Air Force uh, on loan to the Oman Air Force, flying the Hunter and the Jaguar there. Um, so th- those are the principal types, but I flew the Chipmunk, uh, the Nat, uh, the Meteor, uh, things like that uh, in the Air Force as well. Uh, the, the thing that got me into display flying was in 72 and 73, I was the Hunter solo display pilot. Uh, for strike command from Chivna, and thoroughly enjoyed that. It was good fun. And what have you flown since in terms of display flying? I didn't. I didn't go into the airline business when I left the air force, and so I was available to do uh, available for display flying. And once I got into it, the first big piston I flew, fortunately, was the Mustang owned by Spencer Flack, um, and uh, that was the big breakthrough into 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 getting into the big piston world. Uh, and I've flown most of the big pistons. Most of the big single-engine pistons. Uh, the notable exception would be the uh, Messerschmitt 109 or the Bouchon, which I, I haven't flown. Um, and, and no real desire to fly, quite frankly,
6: evil-looking beast. I almost know what you're going to say, but what is the favourite aircraft you've ever flown? I,
4: I, always, I always like to have two. Um, one one jet and one piston, and the jet's the Hunter, without a shadow of doubt, and the piston is the Spitfire. Got to be isn't it? No, absolutely gorgeous. What about the different marks with the Spitfire? What is there's a big difference, isn't there, with the marks? Yes, there is a difference with the marks, and the the the, the light ones, the the early uh, Merlin engine ones, the Mark Fives and things like that, are almost like a chipmunk with a huge amount of power. They are quite a light aircraft and they, they fly beautifully, but they are light. Uh, when you get to the Griffin engine ones, it's a big, heavy aeroplane. It's quite a lot heavier than the earlier models, and, uh, and, and it's flying on the same wing. So you, your threshold speed's gone up by quite a margin. The speed you need for aerobatics go up by quite a margin. Uh, the height you're going over the top of manoeuvre again goes up uh, compared with the lighter ones. So they are different aeroplanes. Uh, but they're still Spitfires.
6: Yeah. How do you get into that mindset then, every time you fly, to know what you're flying at that time?
4: I always did copied, and I copied it outrageously. Was the um, the ATA system of having a one card checklist for whatever you were flying, and so I had a standard. I made my own standardized checklist, uh, which had all the engine limits on it, the airframe limits on it, and the pre takeoff checks. Uh, and the downwind checks, and some principal aer- aerobatic speeds uh, on the on that checklist. And they was, I had them standardised. I've still got them, just knee pad size that fit into the knee pad. I still do the same for the Bulldog, even though I fly the Bulldog all the time now. Uh, I still have the same checklist for the Bulldog. I, I guess um, you must have had some hair-raising
6: moments too in air displays. Things have gone slightly wrong. Uh, yeah, but there, was, there, was, there
4: was the remarkable day when we had about 30 aircraft in close formation with about four or five miles to run to Duxford, uh, all in four ships, fours all staggered down, when somebody in a hurricane, I think he was, he was obviously struggling a bit, because the hurricane was quite slow, said to Mark Han, who was leading, Mark, can you give me ten knots? And Mark just lobbed ten knots off straight away from the front, and this concertina effect down the back <laughs> was hilarious. There were aircraft going in all directions, I was leading a four ship of Mustangs, and I ended up with a a tailwheel of the aircraft in front of me, it looked like it was between me and the prop. And uh, at that stage of the game, I took my four ship down to about 100 feet, and we went round north of Duxford. (laughs) I thought there's going to be nobody below me, I've got to keep everybody above me so I can see them. uh, That was interesting. Um, And uh, I've had the odd interesting, I had a very interesting landing at Cosford in a very strong wind where I almost ground looped the Mustang and touched a wingtip on landing,
6: which uh, that was fun. It seems to me, you mentioned already you work for the CAA, a million miles away from being a display pilot to being somebody oh, uh, who works for the CAA.
4: Um, how do you combine those two roles? I, um, I, I joined the CAA. I'd spent 10 years working in the, in the flight simulator business when I left the Air Force, uh, not as an instructor, but as a, on the marketing side. Uh, and then uh, uh, that was taken over by an American company. I, I left uh, that and then joined the CAA about, uh, about seven or eight months later. Um, uh, on the air display desk so I was inspecting air displays uh, and then went on and got promoted and ended up as head of GAD uh, eventually but the way I worked it because obviously I was inspecting air displays I couldn't fly in an air display I was inspecting that was quite clear and that was quite a principle laid down but if I wasn't inspecting it I could fly in it so how did everybody else know whether I was there officially or unofficially what I did was if I was official I wore my tie if I wasn't wearing my tie, I was there on my own. Mm-hmm. I wasn't there officially. So uh, that worked quite well. But uh, there were some amusing incidents with that. Down at Shoreham on one occasion, Peter Eager said to me on the Sunday morning, we'd, been, the Saturday, there'd been a stonking on crowd wind and everybody had been affected by it, including me, and got a bit close to the crowd. And Peter, on the Sunday morning, he said, I know you're not here formally, Rod. He said, but uh, do you have any comments on yesterday's flying on the on the, the wind? So I, said, I stood up. Everybody knew I got caught out as much as anybody else. I said, yes, Peter. I said, "Uh, we were all caught out by the wind last night, or yesterday, rather. Uh, When I got back to the hotel last night, I went into the bathroom and looked into the mirror and gave myself a right (laughs) rocket. (laughs) (laughs) What
6: do you think the secret is of a good air display? Does it have to be dangerous to be good, or can
4: it be safe? No, it's got to be safe. It has to be safe. We went through too much dangerous at times. I was head of GAD when we lost... uh, four people in one weekend um, with three aircraft accidents we don't want that Mm. Uh, that was tragic and it's tragic for the families it's tragic for the crowd and it's tragic for the guys who were lost in it so no, it's got to be safe and it can be safe, you work on the KISS principle, civil pilots don't get the same amount of practice that military pilots do, so you have to work on the KISS principle, keep it simple stupid Mm -hmm. and that's the way you've got to work so it can be repeatable on minimum displays, it is things like not looping a manoeuvre at a low level unless you are really really familiar with your aeroplane so you know everything inside out. Um, I don't loop when I was displaying the Spitfire I didn't loop the Spitfire because there are different marks of Spitfires with totally different entry speeds totally different weights. I'm quite happy looping looping the Bulldog because I get enough practice and I'm only displaying one aeroplane I know exactly what the parameters are. So you know horses for courses, mm. but in a loop it's the back half of the loop that's going to kill you, not yeah. the front half so that so
6: that 's what you do nowadays you do display the bulldog yeah 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 What's, what do you reckon the the best air display or air display team or best pilot you've ever
4: seen well Ray Han in Spitfire you yeah, know Ray flying the spitfire was uh, was beyond beyond measure I mean he, he was he, 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 he got so much time in the airplane he was part of it. And uh, and these displays were beautiful. They really were absolutely excellent. And th- there are some, uh, you know, the red arrows, everybody quotes, but I saw the 22 ship loop at Farnborough with the black arrows. And so, you know, beat that, boys. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So you've got a, a book coming out this year um,
6: 50 yes. Shades of. Uh, no, no, what's it called? <laughs> 50 Years of Flying <laughs> oh, Fun. Yes, yeah.
4: Tell us about that. Uh, Well, I've written articles uh, over the years for for magazines, mainly associated, all associated with flying, of course. And I've been doing these series of talks uh, around for, it must be about three or four years now, and uh, and they seem to be quite popular. And I've been, people have been nagging me about why don't I put my experiences down in a book. I've been quietly doing that uh, for a number of years, uh, mainly for my children and now my grandchildren. Uh, uh, that's the aim of the exercise as far as I'm concerned and uh, Grub Street have been kind enough and uh, read it and thought it was good enough to publish well best of luck with that keep enjoying the flying
6: and thank you so much for uh, talking to us no, I'm delighted, thank you very much indeed Flaps,
1: in the air, everywhere One thing that
2: most pilots have to face, endure even, is a regular medical. For private pilots, that's a class two medical taken every five years under the age of 40,
1: every two years over 40, and then annually when you reach Elliot's age. Thanks. Uh, But the CAA want to change all that. They've uh, had a a new approach to to lighten regulation. We've mentioned this before on Flaps. Uh, It's something that they've called the Red Tape Challenge. Now, it's a process that's in consultation at the moment. And Rachel Gardner, GA Programme Manager for the CAA, joins us now. Hello, Rachel. Hello. So, um, basically, I suppose, first question is, what's the plan? What's going to happen?
0: Okay, so we've recently launched a public consultation to get views on whether private pilots actually require medicals. Um, So to get to this stage, and we worked with a number of aviation medical experts in the UK to develop a consultation, and our proposal is that if you've got either a UK private pilot license or an NPPL, in other words, a national private pilot license, you'd only need to hold a gbla group one that's an ordinary driver's license
1: so in other words yeah so you don't essentially need a medical if you're fit to drive a car you're fit to fly a plane
0: exactly so it'd remove the need for both a gp or in some cases an ame (an authorized medical examiner and obviously that would save the pilot both money but also time as well is that
1: safe is that wise rachel
0: so the whole consultation and if you re- if you read this online you'll see this but the consultation actually takes takes it through this and looks at um, the different risks that are involved so essentially it looks at ga flying i mean it's a recreational activity in the same sense that other things like horse riding or canoeing don't require medicals um so therefore it's allowing a pilot to make the decision obviously we do need to consider the third party risks well i was just going to say yeah if
1: you're on a horse and you have a heart attack (laughs) you're going to maybe run into a hedge or a bush or something if you're at a thousand feet and have a heart attack things are not going to go so well are they
0: no, exactly. And so we do look at that in the consultation documents. In other words, what actually is the risk to third parties on the ground and also those third parties in the air, so other people flying, if a pilot, you know, was incapacitated, you know, at the stick, so to speak. Um and what, what would actually happen. Um and when you actually look at it if you look at it historically, the likelihood of there being any kind of third party injuries as a result of general aviation so we are only talking about small aircraft um, crashing the likelihood of that is very very small um, we do also look at what the likelihood is of anyone whether you've got a medical or not and whether you're a pilot or not what is the likelihood or probability of any person and um, being medically incapacitated if they felt well before they took off.
2: Now, you said um, just a moment ago, you said that uh, this applies to NPPLs and old school uh, UK licences. Exactly. I've, got, I've got one of these newfangled European ones. What, what's happening to me?
0: Yes, yeah, so exactly. So at the moment, I'm afraid it will only be for UK PPLs or MPPLs. There is there is a question in the consultation that looks at the wider thing of EASA. Um, what we are hoping with this is that you know if we do, and it depends on the response to the consultation, but if we do make this change, um, we would look at really being an example um, to EASA. And EASA are very aware of us doing this consultation. I think are kind of watching. Behind the curtains to see what the result is and see the way forward. Because this is this, is this is something that the
2: Americans are looking at, isn't it as well?
0: Yes. Yeah, so interestingly, the Americans actually did introduce the sports pilot license over ten years ago, mm. and that actually, I mean, that does privileges a for kind of smaller, lighter aircraft than our PPL. But um, already in America, you have got pilots flying around who only have a US driver's license. They are looking at extending that out to a, um, a similar proposal that we're. Doing as well, so we're not
1: alone in this philosophy. I mean, Rachel, there's there's a discussion sort of going on on and off about whether a car driving license is strict enough. The fact that you can take your test at 17 and then never be examined or have a medical or any or your eyesight even checked until you're 70. I mean, is is that really the way to go with a pilot's license? I mean, what what's what's the opinion? What's I mean, it's in it's in consultation, isn't it, at the moment? So I mean, is this is this actually likely to happen?
0: Um, so. As I said, it will depend on the response of the consultation um, on whether this is likely to happen. There are different options in the consultation which look at things like should there be an age limit, and that's absolutely, you know, what you've just raised is certainly a factor, is that as people get older... um,
1: Well, just eyesight, really, is probably probably the obvious one, isn't
0: it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, there is a requirement, obviously, if you've got a current driver's licence, that, you know, you can you can see how that is policed, etcetera is another... Having
1: matter. been on the... Even on the drive down here, I think there's plenty of people who can't, Rachel, I'll <laughs> be honest. And I wouldn't want them in the sky if I'm being even <laughs> more honest.
0: No, and, and that's an interesting point, actually, because you could, you could argue, you know, they're not particularly safe, safe on the road either. So, again, that's what the consultation looks like. What is the actual likelihood of someone, you know, impacting someone else by them not being fit to fly.
2: And what about historical accident data Rachel can anything be learned from that?
0: Yeah so again if you look at the number of accidents that were caused um, by medical causes it is very hard to actually confirm whether it was medical cause or not but even if you look at those that potentially could have been um, caused by medical reasons you're looking at very very low numbers. Now admittedly some people argue that because we've got a medical system in place um, but again, you know, if
1: you do look at those accidents, you're looking at very small numbers. Well, I suppose as well. I mean, when I took my medical, um, the, uh, the chap who did it was a very elderly, retired doctor. Uh, he did my ECG and he actually said to me, he said, well, he said, uh, you're not about to die. He said, but I can't tell you what's going to happen in the next hour, which is true, isn't it? The ECG doesn't actually tell you anything apart from how your heart is at that exact moment in time. No,
0: exactly. and that is the other thing. It's back to what value the medicals actually add. So obviously you've got an EU, you know, class two, which does at certain ages um, require an ECG um, in more detail but actually with the MPPL medical that's actually a self declaration which gets signed by a GP and we know in many cases the GP doesn't necessarily see the actual pilot.
1: I won't even tell you what he said about my eye test, He uh, blessed me. He, he was very very elderly, he forgot to do it and his, his little <laughs> examining room was upstairs, he got me downstairs, he said oh I forgot to do your eyesight I can't be bothered to go back up the stairs, can you see? And I said yes I can he went that'll do for me and signed me off so I suppose I mean, the, the, the medical is only as good as the person doing it anyway isn't
0: it well exactly and he in fact that's the same doctor i've seen in the past as <laughs> well so, um, i've had that very same experience so again it's back to the fact how much is this you know adding and as you said at the beginning how often you require a medical and how many things can actually change during that period anyway with the current system
2: if people want to look at the consultation online how can how can they do that uh, so the
0: easiest way is they go to the ga website of the caa so that's www.caa.co.uk forward slash ga And and there's a link
2: in july doesn't it
0: 10th of july it ends
2: right okay so get our get our skates on
0: exactly
1: thanks for talking to us rachel
0: thank you very much
1: We've had a few requests about our location in the past year, but the most inquisitive have been from our very own tame ex-RAF squadron leader, the legend that is Pablo Mason. Uh, something about us being absent without leave and, and how he was going to clip our wings and giving us a good dressing gown.
2: Down, Elliot. A dressing down. Oh,
1: oh, sorry. Oh, I thought he was going to give us a dressing gown. Oh, it's a shame, that, because I need a new one because
5: mine keeps flapping open. I know. I can see your joystick. It's Mason's Minute. Someone asked me once, what were the best three aeroplanes I'd ever flown? Well, 50 years of aviation, and aviation has been going on now for a little over 100. So I've been flying for half the time that powered flying's been around. What are the three aircraft? Well, I'm sorry, but I'm going to come up with no surprises. I think the first one's got to be the Spitfire. It just has to be. Um, iconic, beautiful. Even now, a jet goes by, and I was a member of the jet era. I don't know what engines it's got. Spitfire comes over. I can tell you whether it's a Packard Merlin, a Rolls-Royce Merlin, a Rolls-Royce Griffin, and it's just... It's lump-in-the-throat time. It's tears-in-the-eye time. And when it does a victory roll or a loop, or someone like Charlie Brown coaxes this exquisite beauty into a full aerobatic sequence over something like a, a symphony concert at Warwick Castle, then what the heck you know, it's almost as good watching it but would you rather be flying it? Absolutely uh, Next in line has to be Concorde I've looked over Concorde very closely when it was in service a couple of pals who were flying them got me uh, sort of flight deck visits never had the chance to fly it either in the cabin or on the flight deck but big pointy fighter um, that goes at gazillions of miles an hour and was technological masterpiece that was pretty well thumped by the Americans building the Boeing 747 jumbo jet and carrying lots of people slowly, cheaply, and the Brits and the French building a collaborative aeroplane that went uh, places at hypersonic speeds at hypersonic prices. But to have flown it, oh, boy. There's a story of a Concorde. It's a wonderful uh, tale, We were at Gatwick and I think I was flying the 767 at the time for Thomas Cook and it was a particularly foggy, horrid day and uh, we were generally looking around at stuff and waiting to get airborne. A Concorde had diverted in earlier and there were all manner of aeroplanes trying to get airborne out of this morning mist and to wherever they needed to go. We were a scheduled flight, I think, to the States, waiting our turn. And over the airwaves, the air traffic controller advised a small twin-engine propeller aeroplane, an Aztec or uh, Seneca or something like that, to be particularly careful as it passed by Concorde. And um, also advised the Concorde aircraft that the Aztec was passing close by. And, of course, they should be aware. I mean, just a little dab on the thrust levers would blow this thing to kingdom come. But a rather snooty, um, concorde type voice came over and it said, um, yes, we acknowledge your advice. Is the aircraft, that little propeller thing off to my left? And the controller um, came up with the affirmative that that was the case. And uh, I think the little propeller thing driver was rather taken aback by this. And so he asked the tower, was the Concorde he was meant to avoid the long white pointy thing on his right? And... um, I think the I think he made his case very, very plainly because the Concorde uh, flight deck was silent for minutes afterwards. And I think my third aeroplane would probably be the 747. Um, it's a jumbo, and I think in many ways it's as iconic as the likes of Spitfire, Hurricane, Hawker Hunter, Concorde. It's just one of those aeroplanes that once you've seen one, first of all, you need to realise that uh, a 747 on the ground is longer and taller than man's first powered flight. But, um, yeah, I think it would have been fun to fly.
1: Thanks, Pablo. That's probably about a minute. That's never a minute. So then, that's it. It's good to be back, and we'll see you next... month. We expect. Probably, yes, yeah. Uh, We might not have made many editions of Flaps in the last year, sorry again, but we have been out and about recording things. Uh, You can hear some more of that next time, plus our report from the Cosford Air Show.
2: If you want to get in touch in the meantime, we are mail at flapspodcast.com. You can search for us on Twitter at Flaps Podcast
1: or find us on Facebook. For now, though, it's nice to have been back. We'll see you again very soon. We're ready for departure. See you next
4: month. Thanks for listening to Flaps.